I invite you to turn your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. We are continuing our series on the armor of God. have been for a couple weeks. Actually, the past couple weeks have just been introduction really to it. Um, something that, of course, we need to take carefully in consideration the words that are presented here to us. Ephesians chapter 6. And once you find your place there, if you're able to, please invite you to stand for the reading of God's word as we read through these verses together. Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to begin reading in verse 10. Follow along as I read. The word of God says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. By the time we get through the series, I hope that... Uh, you'll be able to have memor say you've memorized this passage. Uh, it's good to, to memorize Scripture and taking time. I think we sometimes we leave that to the children, the teens, maybe youth programs, whatever, to memorize Scripture. But that's for everyone in life. This is important for us to know the Word of God. And so we're, again, continuing our series here on the armor of God. And we are going to be looking primarily at verse 14 today and actually just the first part of that verse. And today we're going to be talking about the belt of truth. The belt of truth. In verse 14, get your attention here, it says again, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. This is a vital passage. I like what Dr. Warren Worsby said uh, concerning the armor of God. He says that the Christian life is not a playground, it's a battleground. It, it really is when you think about it. I think sometimes we, I think there's a comfort level in churches. I remember. Uh, Matt, you probably remember this too. I remember in Bible college, they said that this is actually probably the most dangerous place to be a Christian because it's easy to let our guard down when we're in a safe environment. Uh, whether coming to church here, we, we, I hope we believe together, we worship the same God together, we sing songs together, we, we have that spirit together of unity. I pray it's surrounded around Jesus Christ. But it's easy to say when we leave this building, ah, we're good now and we go home and we're fine and we let our guard down. And I think this is kind of the challenge that the Apostle Paul is presenting to us in the armor of God. Again, the Christian life is not a playground, it's a battleground. I love history, studying history. I think most preachers do, at least they should, okay? And, but when it comes here to this type of uh, history here concerning Roman history, especially during around the time of the first century, the Pax Romana, it just really captures my intention. And I'm sure it did for Paul, too, and for the, the Ephesian believers, as they, uh, of course, all around them were Roman soldiers. We believe that the Apostle Paul, when he wrote the book of Ephesians, he was under house arrest and perhaps even chained to a, a Roman soldier, uh, someone who perhaps had the very armor that Paul is referring to. So a great object lesson as Paul there is finishing up this uh, beautiful book, the book of Ephesians here. And sometimes I think when we look at this, this is kind of like a little add-on or a simple conclusion here. But I think really, in a sense, this could be, you could say, the climax of this book is getting to a major point. When we think about this, what's the flow of Ephesians? The first part, the first three chapters, really it's divided up into two main areas in this book. 
The first of all is the first three chapters really talks about our spiritual wealth. The, concerning, for example, the riches of God's grace and the glory that we have in Christ Jesus, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, and the riches and the inheritance that we receive through that. We have great spiritual wealth, and that is referring to really our position in Christ. Pretty amazing when you think about that. Now you look at the last half of the book of Ephesians, chapters 4 through 6, and this was really, whereas the first three chapters were our spiritual wealth, this is now talking about our spiritual walk. Uh, Ephesians 4 verse 1, we are called to walk worthy of the vocation or the calling that Christ has called us with, to walk worthy, to walk according to the Spirit, to walk in love, to walk in light, walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Ephesians chapter 5 and even 6 talks about how to do that practically in, in our marriage, in our homes, for example, between husbands and wives, as we raise our children, even chapter 6, even in our workplace and how we handle ourselves that way. And this is very, this is important. This is affects every part of our daily life. Your Christian life is not based on one hour you do on a Sunday morning. You know, I like what one preacher said, that God's will for your life is not to sit on a pew of your local church. I'm glad you're here. Be here, okay? But it's much more than that as we live out what God has done in and through us. So now we come really, like I said, to a, a, like the, the climax, if you will, the last part of this book here. And that's regarding we had our spiritual wealth, our spiritual walk, now our spiritual warfare. And the thing is, as we put on the armor of God, number one, we have a real enemy. We have a real enemy that we should not take for granted. That, of course, is the devil. But praise God, even though we have a real enemy, we have a mighty victor. This is Jesus Christ. He's our captain. We do not fear when we follow him. As we talked about the last few weeks, we get, go into Paul's uh, his, his opening here. Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Begin to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The word wiles, I know... Uh, 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 Witty uh, taught on that a little bit during the Sunday school here. What does wiles mean? You know, I heard one Southern preacher once call this the beware of the willies of the devil. You know, we got to watch for that too. But as we think about it, this, is really talk, talk about his schemes, his methods, his tricks, if you will. And he's crafty, he's subtle, and he will stop at nothing else to basically attack Christ or against his, his people. Okay? And then verse 12, we talked about this a few weeks ago. That we wrestle not against flesh and blood, against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And this really kind of covers a broad spectrum of the enemy and what we are dealing with about the devil, his, his uh, demons, those that follow him, and of course, even those he worked through. But understand this, that our real battle here is not between us and other people. It's not between you and that politician. Okay, it's not you and that lobbyist or you against your neighbor or maybe you and a family member that are at odds with another that now that can that can be a reflection of spiritual warfare. But our real warfare is spiritual and we have a real enemy. And the, again, the idea here, you have the word against that's mentioned four times here in in verse 12. And that really shows us the intensity of the enemy's attacks against us. And we talked again last week in verse 13 that wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And we talked last week about standing firm in the battle, which is that, that's really the idea, having that battleground. We talked about there's a defensive side to the battle, but also an offensive side. Be not overcome with evil, Romans 12, that's the defensive, but overcome uh, evil with good. 
That's the offensive. And so this is what's going on here in this idea. So one thing I want to say, too, is this, that in the beginning, Paul here is he's challenged us to put on the whole arm of God. This is a daily reminder. We, we are responsible to do this. But also, verse 12, the idea is actually even more intense, more urgent, that this should be upon us all the time, that we should keep on wearing it, eat with it, sleep with it, uh, do whatever, walk with it. This should be a part of your daily life and how vital we need this. I like what one preacher said. I shared this quote last week, and I think it's worth repeating. When we think about how God has blessed us, I like what one preacher said. When God opens the windows of heaven to bless us, be expecting that Satan will open the furnace of hell to blast us. Let's be aware of this. God does bless us, but be aware that God, that Satan will do everything in his power and like I said, it might not be a constant threat that's going on, but it comes at season. Remember, we even talked about the temptation of Christ last week, when after everything was done, Luke's gospel tells us that then the devil departed from him after tempting him for a season, for a time. In other words, Satan doesn't necessarily pick at you every single moment of the day, but there are times he's looking for those openings. He's looking for chinks in the armor, so to speak. He's looking for that opening where he can attack. And so this is important. So therefore... I, I urge you, as Paul does, to put on the armor of God, to keep on wearing it, to stand firm in the armor that God has provided for us. And he's provided a perfect set of armor suited for you, and that's his armor, okay? So here's the thing. The challenge is this, to stand firm in the armor of God, and to do that is really to stand firm in Jesus Christ. We are identified with him. To wear the armor of God, you're resembling our captain who is, who's gone before us. So in this, I urge you, we must stand together. We need to stand firm in the battle with the armor of God. So let's talk more about this now as we take this stand in verse 14. Having therefore uh, your loins gird about with truth. What is exactly this talking about here? Let's talk about, first of all, the importance of the belt. Okay, what is this about? Having your loins gird about with truth. You think of a girdle, I'm thinking of what my great aunt Ethel would wear. You know, so I think for me to help understand it, having a belt, but it's more than just a belt that you're, hopefully, you know, Many of us are wearing a belt. I'm wearing a belt. Okay, it's important. It's more than even just think of a Texas brass buckle, you know, that shines out in the sun. It's more than that. This was a part, a vital part of the Roman soldier's equipment. Okay, and so very important as we think about it. the The word that was used back during the first century was a, called a beltius. And later it was called a kingulum militare. But beltius was the common word that was used to describe this belt. And it wasn't just a simple little one-inch belt around your waist. This was a very thick piece of leather that would have gone around your waist, okay? And then in front, you have belt tie, which were leather straps that would go in front of your body, basically, in a way, protecting um, vital vital organs of your, of your body, so to speak. So, but understand this, that the belt, as we're talking about here, was considered probably the most important symbol that a Roman soldier would wear. It was actually considered a status symbol. Not every belt looked exactly the same. Uh, there's some speculation among historians that uh, as Roman soldiers would go, and of course they get paid, you know, sometimes like, well, I can't, I, don't, I ain't gonna go out and get myself a brand new you know, horse type of thing, maybe they did. But in order to kind of splurge, they would learn how to decorate their armor just a little bit better, and that was kind of their own signature. But nonetheless, it was vital for a Roman soldier to wear this belt. What they would do is this. A Roman soldier, he would have, of course, undergarments, and he would wear a tunic. And as the tunic would be over him, then you would apply that belt around his waist to help basically gird up 
his loins, so to speak. Okay, so this is this is kind of the image, the picture that Paul is presenting us with this. So, but understand this: that for a Roman soldier to have a faulty belt or no belt would only hinder the soldier's effectiveness and give the enemy a great advantage. Put it this way. Guys, if you went into battle and you would wear basically a tunic or a dress, you know, go down about your knees. I don't know about you, but ask the ladies. It's probably very hard to fight a battle if you're wearing a dress, okay? You need something to help shore yourself up. You need something to help gather, pretty much gather your your loins, get your, your, your uh, tie-up loose ends is kind of the idea that we have here, okay? And so you would take your tunic and it would be basically bunched up a little bit tighter. That way it give you more freedom and f- more flexibility on the battlefield. Okay, but not only that, the soldier's belt served as a foundational piece for his armor, supporting him in battle, and it would also bind the rest of his armor together. It would actually go around his breastplate, which we'll talk about next week, and it would go around that to kind of hold it in place, give him sureness and security when he's on the battlefield, especially in the heat of battle. And then another thing that was important, too, about this belt that they were the Beltius was that it would hold his sword in place, his gladius. It would hold his sword in place that without that, of course, the enemy comes along without a belt. You really don't have a sword. Your breastplate's falling apart, and that's you all over. You're, you're done for on the battlefield, or you, you might, might as well run, okay? Hopefully you're faster than your enemy at that point. But anyways, this is kind of the idea that's going on here. So again, without a belt, your enemy has the advantage. This is the idea. So Paul, again, is urging to then take up the whole armor of God. And the first part of that is having your loins gird about with truth. And really having the idea here is to gird your loins or put on the belt with truth. It's really the idea that we have here. And so as we think about holding a sword in place, one thing I can see, this is important that this is a vital reason why we need to gird our loins with truth, to tighten up the waist, so to speak. The sword of the spirit is that that sword. We're going to talk about that later. Sword of the Spirit is the, word of, is the Word of God. It's God's truth. And with that, understand this, that the, the way that this is illustrated here, that each piece of the armor of God is interconnected. There's, everything goes together. It needs to be complete. It's the, the word that we have here for the whole armor is the panoply, the, the complete package. To be an effective soldier for a Roman soldier was to have the complete armor. To, to be the complete set, okay? And it was actually just a little bit before the time of Christ, that's when Roman armies actually kind of became a little bit more uniform, at least uh, more so, in how they presented themselves. And so the idea of a Roman soldier, this was vital to Paul in, as he saw them and also to the Ephesian believers that were there. So one thing I want to point out too, as we think about how the the belt was so vital to this, that the belt or the the girdle here, the belt really what it would do by applying that, by putting that on, that actually gave great freedom of movement to the soldier. It gave great freedom of movement. So to have that belt on really gave you freedom. And here's the thing, as we talk about that being girded with truth, truth really gives freedom that we have with God and with others in our relationship. Probably another way to say it, it brings sincerity. It brings truthfulness to our lives. It helps us to be free to do what God wants to do, to follow the commander of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Talking a little bit more so then, what does it mean here to gird your loins? The idea is here to fasten your belt or tighten your belt, so to speak, to focus on the task. Now, Paul used this term in a military way. Uh, the the uh, Apostle Peter, he also mentions this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. 
Uh, go ahead and let's turn there. We'll go ahead and cook a couple passages today. 1 Peter chapter 1, in verse 13, look what Peter says here. In a similar way of saying, this is what Peter says, 1 Peter 1, 13, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So in a, in a corresponding thought that we have here, Paul, or me, Peter here, as he faced his own spiritual battles, he's talking about here to gird up the loins of your mind. In other words, basically tie up the loose end to be focused, to concentrate at the task at hand. Perhaps he, maybe he was thinking of his own fishing experience when they would have to, as a fisherman who had to, they would have to gird up their tunic as well to go fishing, to do what they needed to work so it wouldn't get in the way of what his task was to be. I think in a practical aspect too, look at the problems that Peter had, especially there at the, the last days of Christ when Peter uh, denied Jesus three times. He didn't gird up the loins of his mind that day. He had to, this is the idea of being focused and being focused on that task. And so this is important. So going back to uh, Ephesians 6, so kind of a way to illustrate this is this, that kind of the idea to loosen your belt or to take off your belt in Roman times here was a sign of relaxation or peace. In other words, things are okay. You can kind of let your guard down. Maybe you think after a hard day's work, you can kind of sit back and relax, maybe put on a change of clothes, whatever. You're kind of in a different format, different idea. And so this is kind of the idea that we should have, though, that we should really be the opposite of that in our Christian life, that we should not let our guard down. We should not take off the belt of truth, how vital that is. So here's the, the, the point of this is really to tie up, as you would gird your loins with truth, basically is this. You tie up loose ends in your life. You remain focused at the task at hand. And here's the point. As we think in military terms, be prepared for the conflict. Be prepared for the conflict. This is the idea. By the way, in the Christian life, will you face spiritual conflict? Absolutely. Don't think, don't be naive to think, oh, I'm saved now. All my problems are over. I'm good. Let's just get to heaven. It was that easy. But guess what? We are in a spiritual warfare. Okay, remember we talked about this, that before you're saved, you're also in a spiritual battle, but you're fighting against God. And now that you're saved, you switch sides. And now you're facing the enemy. But guess what? You're a victor be Christ because Christ has won. Praise God for that. So here's the, the challenge again. Be prepared for the conflict. Fasten yourself with the belt of truth. Here's the idea. As we think about this, to have in the Roman times for a soldier, to have no belt was really to be unarmed. To have no belt really means to be unarmed. How vital it is for us, therefore, brothers and sisters in Christ, that we should have the belt of truth around our waist. This is very vital. So let's talk about then, what is truth then? Let's talk about the importance of truth. First of all, what is truth? It's God's truth. All truth is God's truth. There's a saying for that. But God's truth is really his character. I like what Deuteronomy 34, 32 verse 4 says, He is a rock, his work is perfect, and all his ways are judgment. A God of truth without iniquity, just and right is he. God is true. That is his character. He is always truthful. Whatever you get from God, whatever you get from his word, this is true. He is true. He is that steadiness that we need in life. The contrast of truth is that, what? It's the enemy. The contrast is, it says in John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus is talking to the religious leaders. He says, ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth 
because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Those are harsh words, but they're right on target, exactly who Satan is, who our enemy is. He is the father of lying. Those who follow the devil basically follow in his steps. They go against God. They, they do not have the truth in them. With, with God, there is absolute truth, okay? This is important. So we know that God is true, but also we see here, what is the message of truth? And that's the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's many today that would try to water down the gospel or take out certain parts of the gospel, and then you have really no gospel at all. It was not, well, some time ago, some years ago now, there was a ministry, actually, if I told you his name, most of you would know it, but it doesn't really matter at this point. This uh, evangelist had come into Israel. Of course, our family had lived there for many years. And uh, they came and they wanted to uh, uh, work and even set up a center, do some relief uh, ministry, which is okay. But here's the thing. When it came down to the gospel, the leaders of Israel basically said, well, uh, what do you think we need to do? Do we need to be saved as well? And basically they came out with this statement. He said, well, we Christians, we get saved by Jesus, but you, you Jewish people don't have to be saved by Jesus. It was dual covenantism is what it was. And that allowed them to go in, okay? And so this is the thing. This certain evangelist basically compromised the gospel, saying that Jesus was not absolutely necessary to be saved. But what happened? Jesus here, though, is the essence. He is the gospel. Jesus came full of grace. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory full of grace and truth. We also know John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus also said, as he was about ready to leave this world, said he was going to send his comforter, comforter, the Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of truth, to guide us into all truth and to point us to truth. He points us back to Jesus Christ. But where is truth found? Where we can find truth today? Truth is found in the word of God. John 17, 17, Jesus' high priestly prayer for his disciples and for us, sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. So here's the thing. To know God is to know truth. And in that, you know Jesus. My question is for you today, do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? There's a lot of people who claim to have their version of truth, but there's only one truth that matters in the end, and that's God's truth by understanding him. Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Have you come to that understanding that you are a sinner in need of a Savior? Only Jesus Christ can forgive you of your sin and give you redemption. He can do that. So here's the thing. As we think about this, why then do we need the belt of truth? Why do we need it? Why is Paul urging us to have our loins, have, our, have a belt of truth around our waist? I want you to turn with me just a few pages back to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 14, we'll read there. Paul admonishes the Ephesians this, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. This is why. Why do we need the belt of the truth? Because we are bombarded by mixed messages from the world, by false teachers. And by the way, just, just because we are in a good setting, even though we have the word Baptist in our name, Victory Baptist Church, does not guarantee that we will be absolutely safe from false teaching and false teachers, okay? We do our best to preach from the word of God. What, this is what God says, and we will follow it accordingly. We are not going to compromise what God has said in his word that we should live thereby. But here's the point. 
as we think about this, the point is this in verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in, into him all things which is the head, even Christ. So the point is this, that we are to speak what? Truth. That should be a part of our lives. There should be a flow of our lives to knowing truth. So why do we need the truth? Because of the conflict that we have constantly around us and bombarding us. I like to tell the story, I think I've shared it before, but in our church in Israel, we had a, in our, we had actually three Olgas in our church. It was, by the way, uh, we, we didn't really go by last names because unless you're a politician, you really don't use your last name in Israel. So everyone's on a first name basis. But we had three Olgas. And so we had Olga number one, Olga number two, and Olga number three. And we named them because of the order that they started coming to our, our assembly. Okay, So Olga number two. Uh, she was originally from Belarus, and uh, anyway, she came and uh, I, I got to tell you the story of Olga, how we met her in the first place. Uh, we had, with our humanitarian aid ministry project, Nehemiah, we were uh, helping out in a city, just actually where we live, and uh, we were meeting new immigrants for the first time, assisting them, again, giving them food and blankets, and we're doing it as, as a testimony for Jesus Christ. We are Christians who love Israel, who love the Jewish people. That alone just amazes them. It opens many doors, and this one lady... She stayed at the very end, and she was sobbing. She was weeping, and she had, had just been in the country just a few months. And this is Olga, and uh, she came up to it after everyone had left, and with tears in her eyes, she said, I have been looking for believers in this country since I moved here, and I haven't found anyone, but I found you. Says, Can, is there like a, a church or anywhere? I said, I don't care what it is. I just want to be there. And she said, well, yes, come. And she came and been, been a part and was a faithful uh, part of our church there for many, many years. And so this is Olga number two. So I got to tell you what happened. Some months after that, she was in our church for a good while. And uh, she was walking down the Tayel, the boardwalk there by the Mediterranean near, near our town. And uh, as she does that, there's a couple people that approached her and talked about, say, hey, would you like to know uh, about the end of the world? I'm sure you're scared about what could happen in the end of the world. And, and anyways, uh, so then God has something to say about that. And something just triggered in her mind. Something's not right about what these people are saying. Come to find out they're Jehovah's Witnesses. So anyways, what she did is this. She remembered something, and I've taught it here before, is the 2020 principle. What is that? When you come to a verse of scripture, you have a question about, you read 20 verses ahead, 20 verses behind it, get the context. Sometimes you need to do more, but at least do that as a principle. And so this is what she said to the Jehovah's Witnesses there on the beach. She says, you need to read 20 verses before and 20 verses after, and she just kept walking right past them. <laughs> this is how she put on the belt of truth. She knew something wasn't right. Her spiritual radar went out, and she was ready for that, and she just basically said, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I'm going to follow his word. Here's the thing. As God's word, his truth settles in our heart, settled conviction. This leads to conviction, and this leads us in the right direction of life. Therefore, fasten yourself with a belt of truth. So this is talking about the truth here, but also it's not just the truth objectively, but there's also a truth practically, the application of truth. How does truth look like in your life? Another way we could say truth, and some commentators do this, they, they talk about truth as being, being truthful, truthfulness. And it has an idea, a couple areas, and I want to mention them briefly here. First of all is this, what does truthfulness look like in the life of the believer? Number one is integrity and honesty. And how do we do this? It's not, but remember, when we put on the armor of God, it's not to do it in your own strength, but in his strength, in God's strength, and how desperately we need that. If you want to fight this battle, if you want to fight against Satan yourself, you're not going to win. He's too crafty. We need to do it in the strength of the Lord. Therefore, we need to do it in his strength, in his truth. Now, what is the opposite then of integrity and honesty? 
And the idea is duplicity, to lead a double life. By the way, if you do this, it's having, being double-minded. You cannot serve God and man. There's different principles in Scripture concerning that. But if you lead a double life, it will always lead to unfaithfulness. You will compromise eventually too far, and before you know it, you're gone. I think a great example of, of integrity and honesty concerning the armor of God in the Bible is Nehemiah. When Nehemiah was challenged and God led upon him to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, he faced so many obstacles. Yes, there were physically, you think about Samballat and Tobiah and others who tried to stir the pot, so to speak, and to dissuade him to get him away from what God wanted him to do, rebuilding that wall. But what did he do? He remained steadfast and he obeyed. He could have ran, he could have got security, whatever it may be. He was set with all kinds of fears that were about him, but he remained steadfast. He put on that belt of truth, so to speak. That was Nehemiah. Even so, Jesus Christ did the same thing in his life. When you think of this as spiritual warfare in the Bible, if you look at the, the Old Testament, there's actually not much written in the Old Testament concerning spiritual warfare, or concerning the devil explicitly, or of demons, for example. But when you turn the pages to the New Testament, you see it all over the place. You see how Satan was at work vehemently against Christ at the temptation, and also using people, Judas Iscariot, even Peter, for example, but the religious leaders who constantly accused him, accused Jesus of his character to try to get him to do other things to, to thwart um, his mission. But Jesus remained steadfast. Talk about integrity and honesty. We look ultimately to the ultimate example that's Jesus Christ. A great way to do this. How do we apply truth? Is this, first uh, is Psalm 119.11, Thy word have I hid where? My heart, that I might not sin against thee, against God. And so here we have, in thy word have I hid in my heart. This is God's truth, his objective truth that does not change. And here's the application of that truth, that I might not sin against God. This is how it's lived out. You see, as we think about this, this is so important, that integrity of the heart begins, really is, is vital to have a constant diet of God's word, to read your Bible, to pray every day and obey. Do this on a regular basis. Here's the thing, as David wrote after he sinned with Bathsheba, he wrote in Psalm 51, verse 6, God desires truth in the inward parts. That's what matters most. And that's why it's vital to have the belt of truth around us. Also, we see here the application of truth or truthfulness is really accountability. Account being accountable. And not just accountability, but good accountability. The, the effect of good accountability is what? It keeps us honest. When you have a brother or sister that you can go to, you talk about life. One thing that I do personally is every week, me and a couple guys, some, some college guys, other friends in ministry, just a small group of us, every week we check in with one another. How did your weekend go? How's things? How can we pray for you? Is there any struggles you're going through? We're here to help with one another. And we need that accountability. This is why we need the church. We don't need lone rangers in God's kingdom, okay? We're here together as a mighty army. So moves the church of God. The armor of God here, got to remember this. This was written not just to individuals, not just to you in the pew. It was written to a church, a local church, the Ephesians. And it was read, this message, this letter was passed around and read collectively. So this is together, this is message is this, that we should stand firm together in the battle. I want to share with you, going back to the history of the, of the belt, the uh, um, Baltius that was mentioned. This was uh, from a historian. And I, I really like what this really applies well to what we're reading here today. This historian says this, concerning the Roman military belt, belts express the common identity and solidarity of Roman soldiers. 
the immense fighting success of the Roman army lay not in the ferocity of its fighters outdoing each other in feats of daring, but in the coordinated cooperation of many individuals making that success and thus the survival of each individual dependent on their solidarity and their feelings of commonality. The Roman military belt was the outward manifestation of this and the central part of the Roman soldier's identity. You see, this is the nutshell of this, that by putting on the belt of truth, it's really the identity of who you belong to and who you serve. And by doing it with one another, we are a mighty army. Satan would love to pick off the soldiers one by one. But when we come together as an army in prayer, unified in Jesus Christ, proclaiming the message of the gospel that changes lives, the devil's going to do all he can do that, but he loves to pick off us one by one. This is important, why we need to be together. And so as a church, we must be fastened with the belt of truth. You see, the belt of truth here is the first piece listed in the armor of God. Its purpose is to protect and to prepare us for the battle that is a part of every Christian's life. It is crucial in guarding us against the enemy's lies and schemes. Very important. I want us to point us back to the ultimate example of wearing the belt of truth as Jesus Christ. Jesus was single-focused. He came to do the will of his Father. He was marked as faithful. There's a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 5, that talks about the coming Messiah. And when he does, he will be recognized as this. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. He'll be marked by righteousness, by truthfulness. This is who our Messiah is. Therefore, we should follow him. So by girding ourselves with truth, we follow our captain. He has gone before us. He is with us in the battle, and in him we are victorious. Therefore, put on the belt of truth and prepare for the battle. I want to share in closing a testimony of a preacher friend of mine who actually, this man has been on my mind for a couple of days, and uh, last night I just kind of checked on him. Have you one of those days where you just can't sleep and say, there's just something on your mind? Went and checked it out, find out this dear friend of ours passed away last uh, November, you know, last September of, uh, of uh, cancer. He was uh, a guy, who, very dear friend of ours, who he had come on a couple of my tours that I, I used to take to Israel. It was on that first tour back in 2003 that this, uh, his preacher, he was, as he come on, on the trip, I didn't know this at the time until about halfway through the tour. And he kind of pulled me aside. He just said this, that when he came on the trip, he was so discouraged with what was going on with the church, his ministry himself. He was fighting a big spiritual battle. He was ready to quit. In fact, he had written on the plane his letter of resignation that he was going to, when he got back from the trip to Israel, he was ready to call it quits. He was ready to give up. He actually told me we were sitting in the hotel lobby, big, you know, multi-story uh, a hotel that we were in, and he said, you know, I was enjoying the view of the Mediterranean Sea, and I was thinking for a second about jumping off. I mean, he was he was that having that much struggle. By the way, all the tours after that tried to get our people on lower levels, but nonetheless, he was he was going through some very deep waters as a pastor and in ministry. He faced great discouragement. He was ready to quit, but when he came to Israel, the Lord. By the way, if you've never been to Israel, it life is it. it changes your life and it changed his life my friend's life he came and he was just refreshed with the simple message of truth the gospel of jesus christ at the sites that we saw and then minister we had him preach in our church there in israel among others and uh, he was faithful in doing that 
But he said, I needed this trip because it woke him up to put on the belt of truth. He was ready to take the belt off. He was ready to quit. He was ready to give up. But he, my friend, said, no, I'm going to keep the belt on. He then returned to his church, and he was a faithful soldier. He actually served 42 years at his church in Michigan. And he was a faithful soldier until the very end, until he went home to be with the Lord last, last September. I love the man. Haven't actually communicated with him since COVID. But nonetheless, I respected that he kept fighting the good fight of faith. He put on that belt of truth. He believed it, the truth. He lived the truth, and in that he honored his Lord, his captain. That's a challenge for me personally. I always pray when, you know, Lord, when I'm preaching through a message, I need to be preached to first before it gets preached to others. And when I thought of this, man, alive, this is a testimony for me to keep going, for me to put on that belt of truth. I need it. You need it. God says we need it. Put it on, folks. We desperately need the belt of truth. Don't give up. There's some of you here today who says, I'm, I'm about this ready to call it quits. I don't know what's going through your life right now, but God knows. Like I said, I've shared this illustration before, that if you're in the military, you know, you're just a private, you know, barely, barely in the boot camp, and you have a message to give to the colonel or a captain, you got to go through a chain of command in order to get that message across, right? But Jesus, he's ever near to you. He is by your side. Go to him. Put on the whole armor of God. Put on the belt of truth. Fasten yourself with the belt of truth and get ready for the battle. Guess what? In that, with Christ, we are victorious. Let us trust in him.